Well, Father, the fact of the matter is, is that everyone has a story. Everyone has uh, a testimony of, uh, of your grace and of your mercy. We are, uh, we are all pilgrims. We are all on a journey. We are all walking through this life. And we thank you that we are not walking alone. We're not walking by ourselves because of your work in our lives. We, um, <clears throat> we want to thank you for the very unique relationship of grace and of mercy that we enjoy with you, our Father, because of what the Lord Jesus did by coming and taking human flesh and living a sinless life and going to the cross. We have been um, not only forgiven, but we have been um, adopted into your family. And we have privileges that, quite frankly, are somewhat hard, just hard to believe and hard to imagine. <clears throat> but they are true, and they are ours in full because of what Christ has done. We are in the process of learning to walk in grace, uh, of of learning more and more about your, your goodness to us and the fact that Jesus paid it all. So often we are condemned by the enemy, and if he's not condemning us, we are condemning ourselves. But we thank you for that truth, that great truth of Romans 8 that we often refer to, that there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. We, we still sin, but there's no condemnation because we are in Christ and under his blood. That's an amazing truth. We will never uh, plumb the depths of that on this earth, but we want to grow in it. Now tonight, we ask that you will give us great encouragement. There is uh, much in this world that gets us down. There, there is much going on that causes us at times to lose heart and to shake our heads in disbelief. But whenever we go to your word, we get a different perspective. Uh, first of all, we get a true perspective. Uh, we don't get propaganda. We don't get spin. We don't get somebody's opinion. We get truth. You've never lied. You cannot lie. You have fulfilled every promise. <clears throat> We can hold up your word and, and know that in your way, in your time, you will fulfill it in our lives. I, I ask that you would do um, a special work tonight in our hearts of encouragement and, and of um, giving us hope and letting us know that we are not by ourselves, but that you are leading us, you are behind us, you are on each flank, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Uh, and that's true our whole lives. So give us exactly what we need tonight. Quite, I mean, honestly, we don't even know what we need. We think we do, but we don't. We're aware of needs, but there are things going on in our lives, and uh, we think perhaps we know the solution, but, but how could we? We are finite beings, but you are God. You know all things. So we'll trust you 
to supply to us what we need at the moment we need it. But tonight we'd ask for great hope and encouragement as we study your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at David's life. We're continuing this study. <clears throat> looking at David and his issues. David and his baggage. David and his stuff. Uh, the stuff that was in David's life, the... Uh, I was, I was reading yesterday afternoon a volume called The History of Israel by John Bright, and uh, he's, he's, uh, he's a theologian historian who can actually write, and he's actually interesting, and he's not dry, and he's not boring. So I'm reading through the section of Israel's history uh, on the king, starting with Saul and David and Solomon. And as he said in there, he said there's a tremendous amount of information uh, on this on this. Um, section of history in Israel's history there's a tremendous amount of information and that's true a lot of information on Saul a lot more information on David uh, a lot of information on Solomon when we think about David uh, we can go to those uh, those books of Samuel and and Chronicles and we, we can see the story of David's life and uh, the different events that were taking place in his life but as I've said before the interesting thing about David is he wrote half the Psalms. And when you go to the Psalms, you see David being, um, you see him just pulling back the curtain of his life. And some of the events historically that went on, you can, you can cross-reference in the Psalms where he was and the pressure that he was under and the fears that he was facing because he just comes out and he and he and he says it and that's why when life gets hard and life gets difficult people turn to the Psalms um, because we read what David was dealing with and he's real honest he's just gut level honest uh, he's not missing around he's not playing church and it's kind of shocking at times how honest he is uh, his life has fallen apart or he's about to go down for the count. He's under tremendous pressure. Uh, he doesn't know if he's going to make it. Well, shoot, that's how we feel sometimes. And you see that in Scripture. That's because David was walking the path of life. He was walking the trail of life. Well, he's finished his trail, but we're still walking it. So the issues that he had going on in his life, well, man, I've got those issues in my life. Uh, We've talked about a bunch of stuff. We've talked about a man in his fear. David had fear. We've talked about a man in his guidance. I'm just kind of going back. There's no sequence to this. I'm just pulling some of them out. Uh, a man in his fear. Uh, uh, another one is a, a man in guidance. We need, every man needs guidance, particularly at certain times. We feel it more than others. Uh, a man in his burden. We carry burdens. Every guy in this room has a burden, has a weight that you wish wasn't there, uh, but it's there and you can never quite get out from under it. We talked about all kinds of things. Tonight I want to talk about um, a man and his purpose. And as we begin, I have a question for you, and the question is simply this. The question is, why are you here? And you might say, well, um, you know, I, I come every week normally. Uh, if my schedule enables me to get here. Or perhaps you would say, well, I'm here, you know, a friend invited me, so that's why I'm here tonight. Um, there could be a lot of different answers to that question, uh, why you're here. But when I ask the question, why are you here? 
Those aren't the answers that I'm after. When I ask the question, why are you here, what I'm really asking you is, why do you exist? That's the question. I think that is a question that we ask throughout our lives. Uh, in our lives, um, there are chapters. If you, um, if you stop and think about your life, if you read a biography, uh, I, I, because I do some publishing, I, I, know, I know a guy right now that is uh, um, working on a book. Who's, uh, who's this uh, young point guard for the Knicks? Jeremy uh, Lynn, Lynn Sanity. They're trying to put together a biography deal for Jeremy Lynn. Um, well, that makes sense, because he's come out of nowhere. Uh, now, when that comes out, that biography will be broken up into chapters. You read a biography on Babe Ruth, it's in chapters. You read one on Hank Aaron, it's in chapters. You read one on Benedict Arnold, it's in chapters. Or Douglas MacArthur. Whoever you, whatever biography you read, it's in chapters. Uh, we'll never have a biography written about us, but our lives break up in the chapters, don't they? And I think, as we go through the different chapters of life, if you stop and think about this chapter thing, in fact, some of you, you're scrolling through your life and identifying the chapters. You could, uh, you could date them, you could title them. They're that clear. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> Usually, as you're going through a chapter, at some point in that chapter, if it's four years, five years, six years, whatever, you're going to ask the question, almost in every chapter of life, you're going to ask the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Is what I'm doing, does it really count? Does it make a difference? One of the things we're looking for as men is we're looking for purpose and we're looking for meaning. And there are times when we feel we're on track. There are times that we have a grip on that and we have a sense of God's hand on our lives and we have a sense that he's leading us and that uh, we, have, we, we are on the right track and we're where he wants us to be and we're productive and we have a sense of that. And thank God for those times. However, there are other times when we don't have that. And we struggle. Even as believers in Christ, there are times when, what the heck am I doing? Um, it, it's like we kind of lose our, we, we, we lose our initiative, we lose our sense of drive. I mean, we're going through the motions, we're still doing what we're supposed to be doing, <clears throat> but we wonder if it makes a difference. We wonder if it isn't all futility, like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. Uh, why am I here? What, what is this all about? And there are times when that gets cloudy, and there are times when that gets real murky. It happens to us in our teenage years. We're trying to figure out life when we're in high school. We're just trying to figure out life, and everybody wants to be popular, and a few of them are, and the rest of everybody isn't. And you're trying to get in with the group, and you know, how come I'm not cool like that guy? Or, you know, if you are cool, uh, enjoy it because you're heading for a fall. That's how that works. Um, if you've been to your high school reunion, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it all evens out somehow, doesn't it? But in the teenage years, at some point, you're thinking, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And you're trying to find your niche. And what am I interested in? And, you know, and then you're going to deal with it sometime in your 20s and then in your 30s. <clears throat> uh, 
there was a study done at Yale, which was the basis, what was the guy's name? Daniel Levinson did this study about 30 years ago now. At, at Yale, it was uh, published under a title called The Seasons of a Man's Life. And this was the study where the whole concept of midlife crisis came out of. This was the original study. And they tracked a bunch of guys for years and years and years and years. And um, uh, it was interesting because we've all heard of midlife crisis. Somewhere around 40, you wake up one day, you're shaving, and it hits you like a ton of bricks. That half your life is over. And that's a startling realization. Because, you know, in your 20s, you were going to do all these wonderful things and this and this and this and this. And it hits you one day, you know, I don't think I'm going to get that done. I don't think that's going to happen. And it's sort of a shock and a slap in the face. And guys go into crisis. And guys start, you know, sometimes guys get weird. And start doing weird things because they don't want to lose their youthfulness. Well, you're losing it. And uh, you're not going to live forever. So, you know, guys... Um, uh, you know, trade in their Suburban for a red Mazda Miata. And, uh, and you can't even get in it. <laughs> and you got to call AAA to get you out of it. You know, that, it's kind of a midlife crisis thing. Anyway. But they found out, all the publicity was on that midlife crisis thing around 40. But if you read the study carefully, as many guys go through a crisis around the age of 30, as do the age of 40. Uh, what, what I came away from that with is that you're either going to hit a crisis at 30 or you're going to hit a crisis at 40. But you're going to hit a crisis. Because what you're, trying, what you're doing is you're adapting to life. You know, maybe you went to college and got a, a graduate degree. Maybe you got two of them. And, you know, you, you, you got a job and you're 32 and you wake up one day and you got all those degrees on the wall and you figure out, you know what, I really hate what I'm doing. Well, shoot, you haven't even paid off the student loans. And you don't like what you're doing? That's what you call, and that happens to guys. You know, this really isn't what I thought it was going to be. Oh my gosh, you mean I got to do this for the rest of my life? That's a crisis. That's a big time crisis. So some guys hit it at 30, some guys hit it at 40. Everybody's going to hit it one time or another. Somewhere in your life, more than once, you're going to ask the question, why am I here, why do I exist? What is my purpose? In Psalm 139, which is one of the greatest of the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms. Uh, Psalm 139 has got to be in the top 10, might be in the top five. I'm not, not sure you're supposed to rank Psalms, but <laughs> Psalm 139. To me, the Psalms are like a great mountain range. Uh, if you look at a map of the United States, there's a great mountain range called the Rockies. It's not dead center, it's kind of left center. In my Bible, when I open up my Bible, not quite center, but kind of left center are the Psalms. They're like a great mountain range. And if you're driving into Colorado from the east, it's kind of flat, so to speak, kind of, you know, kind of dull, kind of boring. And then off in the horizon, suddenly, you'll see the outline of the Rocky Mountains. Um, some amazing peaks, all connected, some taller than others, all significant. That's the Psalms, 150 of them. Some are longer than others, but they're all significant. They're all connected. They're all the Word of God. 
Psalm 139 is one of the majestic peaks. And in Psalm 139, verse 13, David asks the question. Now, he doesn't, he, yeah, he does ask it. And then he's going to get an answer to the question. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? The answer he begins to get in verse 13. Uh, he, when he says, you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. And then he takes off from there. And we'll look at that in a minute. But I want to make a point here before we get into that. Uh, <clears throat> I think a case could be made. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Why do I exist? I think that's the most critical question in a man's life. We're going to ask it from time to time over and over again. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for purpose. Why am I here? It's such a big question that guys do all kinds of things trying to answer it and find meaning in their lives. Uh, I have a theory, and my theory is this, is that the number one idol in America is self, S-E-L-F. We are into self-fulfillment, we're into self-realization, we're into self-understanding. Self is God number one. We're selfish. And based on um, finding ourselves, all kinds of wrong things are done. Um, our culture will tell you if you're confused, if you're unsure, if you face a predicament, you'll hear this. Well, you need to look deep down inside what? Yourself. You know, I've done that. That's not the answer. That, that is a pretty, um, that's a pretty weak answer. That's not it. You ever look deep down inside yourself? You got major issues? You got major questions? Let me tell you something. The answer is not inside you. And it's not inside me. Looking inside yourself is sort of like going scuba diving in a septic tank. <laughs> you don't want to do that. And if you do it, you want to get out real quick. Because Jeremiah says the heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who can know it? So we see all kinds of things, all kinds of behaviors being justified in the name of self. Don't I have a right to be happy? So I walk out on my wife and kids. Well, uh, time out. If you have a right to be happy, what about them? But see, when you're all about self, you don't ever consider anybody else's feelings or the impact it has on you. And we, we've all done this to one degree or another. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, I think it's safe to say, I, I would make a case, that is the most significant question in a man's life. Now, if that is true, if it's the most significant question in man's life, why am I here? Why do I exist? If it's such a major league question, here's my, here's my question. Why does David wait until verse 13 to answer it? If it's that big of an issue, if it's that huge, why the heck doesn't he deal with it in verse 1? Well, the fact is, that answer... The question and the answer are not given to us until verse 13. Why not? 
You're saying there are 12 verses prior to this? Yes. And there is a principle here. And the principle is this. The first 12 verses are about God. You don't get to you until verse 13. And there's a principle there, and the principle is this. If you want to find out why it is that you're alive and why you exist and what your purpose is, here's the principle. Don't ever start with yourself. You start with God. Without that context, you will never understand your purpose ultimately and why you exist in this life. If you're just about you, that's the wrong place to start. So where does he start? He starts with God. He's going to start with two uh, attributes of God. He's going to start with the omnipresence of God, which means that God is everywhere. And then he's going to weave into that what we call the omniscience of God. God is not only everywhere, but God knows everything. God knows everything it is. He knows everything that could be. He knows every possible ability. He knows every option. He knows all things. Now let's just read this. Let's just take a gander at this. And this all has to do with why am I here? What is my purpose? Watch this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. In other words, you know everything about me. You got your eye on me. Uh, you understand my thought from afar. That's, that's a phenomenal statement to me. You understand my thought from afar. The thing I find so intriguing about that statement is, is that um, he understands our thought from afar. Uh, we don't understand our thought up close. We're the ones that have the thoughts. And half the time, we don't understand why we're thinking or what we're doing. Half the time, we don't understand our behavior. Have you ever said this to yourself? Have you ever said, why did I say that? Yeah, you said that. I've said it a million times. Why the heck did I say that? I don't know why I said it. I shouldn't have said it. I knew before I said it. I shouldn't have said it, but I said it. Well, God knows why you said it. See, what you're saying, why did I say that? You're saying, I don't know why, I don't understand myself. That's right, you don't and neither do I. But he understands me from afar. He gets me. He gets me. He gets everything about me. Why did I do that? I promised I'd never do that again and I did it. Why did I, Dad, gummit, why did I do that? Well, you don't know, because you don't understand yourself. Where, well, I've looked deep down inside myself. That's what Oprah said to do, so I looked down inside myself. Or that's what Dr. Phil or somebody else said, or I read this guy's book. He said, look inside yourself. We don't understand. Go ahead and look. You're not going to get anything out of that. But see, God understands us because God made us, as we're going to see in a minute. He put me together. He gets me. He understands me. He's got the owner's manual. He put me together. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You know the track I'm on, and you know when I run out of gas and i got to get some sleep. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. God knows everything about you. He, he understands your personality. He understands your background. He because he put you in the family into which you were born, by the way. That, that just wasn't the luck of the draw. God, as we're going to see in a minute, God has a plan. And so your background, he knew about your background before it was your background. 
Well, I've been affected by my background. Everybody has. He knows that. You have a temperament. Uh, classically, there are four classic temperaments, and then there are modifications of them. Um, so some guys have, uh, have hair-trigger tempers. That's your temperament. Other guys, they don't have a hair-trigger temper. They just slow burn. Takes them a long time to get worked up. That's, a, that's an issue of temperament. Some guys are very, very disciplined. Just out of the box, they're disciplined. Other guys are very impulsive. That's a matter of temperament. Well, God knows your temperament. He gets it. He understands all the facets, all of it. Personality, gifting. He, he, gets, it. he gets you. He gets you. He's intimately acquainted with all your ways. Oh, by the way, he sent his son to die for you. Watch this. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. This is wild. This God, this God that we serve, uh, he knows all things. He knows every word you will utter for the rest of your life until your dying breath. And he not only knows what you're going to say, he knows how you're going to say it. He knows the intonation and the motivation and the attitude behind each word. He knows all things. There is a uh, teaching going around some evangelical churches called open theism. It's not new. It's been around. There's nothing new under the sun. There are new, no new heresies. Uh, this originally was part of something called Socinianism that showed up, I think, about this, was it the 16th century, something like that. But part of this is that, open, what's open theism? That God doesn't know the future. You can go into Christian bookstores and pick up books, yeah. And they write these books about this thick, and they're telling you why God, God out of love has put limitations on himself, and he really doesn't know the future. Well, there's a book called the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And every time I read the B-I-B-L-E, you know what I see? I see a God who knows the future because he planned the future. And there are debates that you can read from time to time in Christianity Today magazine. Uh, one pastor who holds to open theism and one who's against it. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. There's, there, there, there are uh, Old Testament Prophets, not P-R-O-F-I-T-S, but P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. Prophets of God would tell forth the word of God, and they would foretell the word of God. There were prophecies in the Old Testament about the first coming of Christ. The scriptures uh, were very specific. Over, As I recall, I'm doing this off the top of my head, somewhere in the area of 200 specific prophecies that were fulfilled literally in the first coming of Jesus, you see. And there are prophecies that have been made about his second coming that will be fulfilled literally. The Old Testament scriptures said that when the Messiah comes, he will be born in Bethlehem, and he was. Now, how can that happen if God doesn't know the future? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, because um, 
He knows the future. He revealed the future to Daniel in the second half of Daniel's book. And he told Daniel what was going to happen in the last days. And it so upset Daniel and made him sick and he had to go to bed. It just it scared him to death. And he said, it's not for your time, it's for a later time. And you read the book of Revelation. And you put those different prophecies together. And, you, and, and you know, there's, there's different camps and all that. But here's what's clear. Here's what's real clear. God has a plan for the ages. There will be an antichrist. There will be a false teacher. Uh, every democracy on the face of the earth will be exterminated. I'm just here to encourage you. There's going to be a one-world government. It's prophesied. It's going to happen. Is that the end of the story? No, because Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to touch down at the Mount of Olives. There's going to be an earthquake. He's going to split that thing in two. And he's going to walk into the eastern gate. Now that's going to happen. Because God not only knows the future, God controls the future, and God has a plan for the ages. That's why it says, even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, thou dost know it all. By the way, observation. The stress level in this room has gone down 70 to 80 percent in the last 15 minutes. Has it not? Yeah, it has. Why? Because we've been talking about the greatness of God. And when we're walking in here, we're thinking about all the stuff we're dealing with. All the pressures we're under. All the weights that we're carrying. All the concerns we have. For some of you guys, you're out of work, you're unemployed. You're man, you know, I mean, listen, I'm running out of steam here. God, you've got to help me because, well, okay. And that's legit. You see? That's very legitimate. That's a big deal. But see, when you step out of that, we've all got stuff. You know, we got stuff with our kids and marriage stuff, and we got career stuff and health issues and all that. And see, we, we're right here, we're dealing with that, it's right in front of us, and we're just trying to work our way through life, it's right there. Sometimes you've got to take a step back and look wide angle. You're not in this by yourself. There is a God in heaven. See, I, uh, why am I here? What the heck is going on with my life? Why am I dealing with all this stuff? And we're just, we get overwhelmed. Psalm 42, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. That's the word of God. Why? Because the God in Psalm 142 is the God of 139. He's a God who's in absolute control of all things. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're under. He knows what I'm dealing with. He knows our fears, our worries, our concerns. He knows our bank accounts. He knows our iris. He knows our net worth. He knows the price of gas. He knows about Michigan and Arizona. He knows it all. He's not watching the returns to see what's going to happen. He planned it all before the foundations of the world. And if you don't believe that, you don't know your Bible. Spot. You guys still with me? Do you see why you don't want to start with yourself? You want to start with God. Look at verse 5. Um, you have enclosed me behind him before. This is a wild statement. Here's what he's saying. Remember we, we said everybody has a biography? Everybody in your life has chapters? We could take a minute and say, take your... Uh, 
just take a minute and take out a piece of paper and just take five minutes and look back over your life and just real quickly sketch out the chapters of your life. You could do it. You could do it. You could title them. You could date them. Yeah, you could. And so here you are right now. What is this? February 29th. So here you are right now. You look back and you can see the chapters of your life. And you can see the hand of God in those chapters. And a lot of times, in some of those chapters, we weren't interested in God, we weren't seeking God, but he came after us and brought him to himself. We kind of made a miss of things. And then he came into our lives and began to, uh, he gave us a new heart, gave us a new perspective, opened our eyes. Uh, suddenly life's different because Christ is in my life. But you see the hand of God in your life even before you came to know Christ. Okay. So you look back and you can see the chapters and you can see God's hand. Well, all right, watch this. See, you have enclosed me behind. So those chapters you look back over, God has you enclosed behind. Ah, but here's this. Here we are, February 29th. You see? Well, we got a future ahead of us. And we're thinking, yeah, yeah, we do. But I'm not, you know, I'm not all that, uh, I'm not all that pumped about the future. Uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, what if my guy doesn't get in? In, in November. Oh, you're toast, man. It's over. O-V-E-R. Your guy may not get in. I'll tell you what. God's already determined who's getting in. He raises up rulers. He sets them down. He blows on them and they wither. He uses them. They're tools in his hands. It's always been the case. Always. He runs them. He owns them. He controls them. He has a plan. And even when it looks like things are out of control, they're under control. So how can that be? It's because God works strangely. But he works. And he's running the whole world. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. He's enclosed me behind him before. <clears throat> so... Um, sometimes we get in a chapter and it's a real good chapter for us. We're comfortable, we got a good job, we're in good health, things are kind of kind of going the way we'd like them to go. But here's what happens with chapters. They all come to an end. And when a chapter comes to an end, and maybe there's a chapter you really like and you're really, I mean you're thinking, this is good. Yeah, 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 this is good. Well, enjoy it. But don't make it an idol because you know what, it's going to pass away. What's going to happen is that chapter in your life is going to come to an end. Everything in your life is not going to remain the way it is all the time, the way that you want it to be, if indeed you're there. Enjoy it, thank God for it, but it's going to change because that chapter is going to come to an end because there are many chapters in our lives. And what's going to happen is when that, when that chapter comes to an end, it might be because, um, uh, it could be because your spouse dies. Spouses die. Some of you guys have been through that. Uh, it might be a divorce. A spouse decides, I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. I'm going to cut out. I'm gone. I don't care what you do. There's nothing you can do. You, you didn't see it coming. Um, health. Uh, one day you wake up and your health is, uh, it's, it's not what it's always been. That's a, that's a whole new chapter for you. 
or it, it could be a thousand different things, but that chapter changes, and so, or, or you don't have a job. You've had a job, you've had favor in your career all the way through your life, and suddenly, shockingly, uh, you're laid off. They're letting you go. And that's not, that doesn't fit your financial plan because you had it laid out a little bit differently. And, and now what are you going to do? Well, see, here's, here's my point. When these different things come into our lives, these unforeseen events, unforeseen to us, not unforeseen to God. When these unforeseen events come into our lives, a chapter comes to an end and we are in transition. And so now we're going to walk into a new chapter and we get anxious and we get apprehensive because we don't know what the future holds. <laughs> But this says, he has enclosed me behind and before. What that means is, is that just as I can look back and see chapters, I can see them because I've come through them. But there are chapters that God has already written, and they're as clearly defined and delineated as the one I've just come through, as the ones I've just come through. But I haven't been through them yet, so I don't know what's out there, so I get anxious and apprehensive because I can't see what God has planned, yet he's planned it. I has not seen Ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't have to fear the future. God has not given us a spirit of fear, of cowardice, but that of, but that of power and love and sound thinking or a sound mind. As you face the future, you've got to face it with a sound mind and with sound thinking. Our, our norm is to look ahead and to get a little bit of apprehensiveness, especially if I'm in transition. I don't have what I thought I was going to have in this transition. You know, if I had another 500 grand, I'd be okay going to this, but I don't have it. In fact, I lost it. I'm 500 grand in the hole. Well, you ought to be apprehensive, unless he's God, because that's not a problem, because you see, God's your banker. Oh, I bank at Citibank. No, you don't. You, you better have a better bank than any earthly bank. He's your provider. He's your 401k. He's your bailout. And he promised he would be. That's Isaiah 46. Clock's up there. We got time for Isaiah 46. Because, you see, for most of us, the fact of the matter is, we look ahead in the future, and why would we get apprehensive? Because of the whole economic thing. Which I understand they've just about got fixed. <laughs> so I, I personally am, I'm, I'm encouraged. So you look ahead and say, my gosh, what's going to, you know, how's this going to work? How, all right, watch this. 46.3 of Isaiah. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. You get that picture? In Deuteronomy 1, he says, I carried you like a father carries a little boy. Your dad ever just pick you up when you are a little guy? You walked in with your grandson. What's his name again? Blaine. Blaine. How old's Blaine? 20 months, he had that neat little hat on. He walked in, and he'd just gotten up from a nap. He walks in with his grandpa. His grandpa's carrying him. Blaine, he had no clue where he was. He was just trying to focus his eyes. And he's looking around, and he's just, you know, but he's okay because his grandpa's got him. He's carrying him. 
You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Watch this. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Governments may change. Administrations may change. Constitutions may change. They might be ignored. They might be burned. They might be thrown out. It doesn't matter. God's the same. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your grain years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you. And I will deliver you. What the heck else do we need, guys? There it is. We're safe. There's your security. There's your hope. Go back to Psalm 139. Well, I'm in transition, okay? Transitions, uh, they make us apprehensive because we're not sure what it's going to look like. Uh, hey, guys, look it. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We walk into transitions and new chapters trusting in the character of God that he will be faithful to us and faithful to his word. And what has he said? I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what he has said. And my God shall supply most of your needs. It's all of your needs. According to his riches and glory. Those are ironclad promises. He has got to deliver on those. He has to. Because he's God. He has never violated his word. He cannot violate his word. The Bible doesn't say that God doesn't lie. It says he cannot lie. He can't do it. He doesn't have the ability to lie. If he says it, he'll do it. Well, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. You obviously have made it this far. Yeah, but I'm running out of time. I mean, it's next Thursday or whatever the heck. It, well, it's not Thursday yet, is it? Well, it's getting close. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I grant you it's getting close. So whatever your due date is, your drop-dead date. Jesus is already at Thursday. He owns Thursday. He created Thursday. He's already there. Is he not? Yeah, he is. He always comes through, doesn't he? Does he not always come through? Yes, he does. He makes a way. Does he always do what we want him to do? No. But he always takes care of our basic needs. Does that mean we never have loss? No, sometimes we have loss. Why? Well, why do we have loss? Well, he said we'd have loss. The Lord gives and the Lord oh, takes away. That's loss. But if there's loss, there's a reason for the loss. Because he's going to do something in our character and in order for that to be done, it's necessary for something to be taken away. It's just how you operate with your kids. Or you should. If you give a kid everything he wants, you're a lousy father. Sometimes you have to take away from a child to get their attention and to develop them towards maturity. Now, if you'll do that, how about God the Father? But you take care of your kids, don't you? Yeah, you do. So God's enclosed you behind him before. He says, uh, 
you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Hey, hey, you know what he's saying? The fact that you are everywhere, the fact that you know everything. And see, those are just two of his attributes. God, God has all wisdom. God has all power. God is immutable. He never changes. He's the same yesterday and today forever. If he was faithful to you yesterday, he'll be faithful to you today, and he'll be faithful tomorrow. He's the same God tomorrow as he was yesterday. He's not going to change on you. His character's not going to change. He can be trusted. He can be counted on. He says here, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Hey, remember, we started asking the question, why are you here? Why are you alive? Why do you exist? We forgot all about ourselves, didn't we? Because we've been looking at God. And the stress level has dropped. And you're feeling better about life. Even if your circumstances haven't changed at all, you're feeling better about life. Why? Because you know that your God is in charge and in control of your life. Even if you are still under great pressure. Okay. Oh, but who's behind the pressure? God. Okay. Where can I go from your spirit? You guys still with me? All right. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I go up, you're there. If I go down, you're there. He's everywhere. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea. What does that mean, the wings of the dawn? Light travels at, what, 186,000 miles per second. So David lives in Jerusalem. Uh, up early in the morning, the first ray of light from the sun starts shooting across the horizon. If David could... Um, Lasso, one of those rays of light, put a bridle on that sucker and a saddle and ride it. Can you imagine riding a ray of light across the horizon at 186,000 miles a second and do it for 12 hours? Okay? And then you get off. Where would you be? Well, wherever you are, God would be there. Because he's everywhere. You say, oh, he's within the universe? No. He contains the universe. He spoke the worlds into existence. He knows the stars by name. Chuck said one time, God created time. Men invented watches. God owns time. That's why the psalmist says, my times are in your hand. He's got you covered. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. There is nowhere you can be in the world, in the universe, that God will not be there, and he will not be there leading you with his hand upon you. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Watch this. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Sometimes we find ourselves in tough situations, and we can't see any light in our circumstances. If I say the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, watch this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. That's a staggering statement. 
God is never in the dark about anything. He's never in the dark about you and his purposes and what he is up to. You may be in the dark. He's not. He knows precisely where you are. He knows precisely what the pressures are. He knows precisely what he is up to. And he knows when, how, where he will deliver you. What he wants us to do is in the interim is to trust him. Oh, now we get to verse 13. Why am I here? Why am I alive? Now we can discuss this. And, oh, and now we kind of look at it from a different angle, don't we? See, if you start with yourself, you're going to miss it. If you start with yourself, why am I here? What's my purpose? You're going to miss the whole thing. Because you've got to start with God because he's the one. He created you, who formed you. Let's just read this. Uh, he's talking about when he was in the womb. Hey, you know why you're here tonight? Because you started in the womb. You're here tonight because there was conception. All right? You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So um, you are here tonight. You exist tonight because X amount of years ago, you were in your mother's womb. You were conceived. God was forming you. God was fashioning you. You have a personality. Some of you are borderline. No personality. But you got something. Okay? Uh, I once flunked a personality test. That's the only reason I bring it up. You have a temperament. Hey, where'd you get your temperament? God formed it in fashion. God gave you your temperament. You have certain strengths. You know why you have strengths? God gave you strengths when he formed you in fashion in your mother's womb. Oh, yeah, but Steve, there's a lot of, you know, I, I've got all these weaknesses. Well, join the club. Yeah, man, I wish I was like that guy. Well, you're not. So quit worrying about it. And quit wasting your time. It's an absolute waste of time to think, oh, I wish I was like him. You're not like him. You'll never be like him. God doesn't want you like him. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, a great thinker uh, in, in, in London, was a, was a great writer. Um, um, took on atheist and uh, Darwinist and was a, he was just a profound thinker. The guy just, but, but you know what? He had trouble living life. True story, true story. He's in Victoria Station one day, and uh, he stops, and he can't remember why he's there. He just can't remember. So he walks over to the telegraph hall, he sends a telegram to his wife. And he says, at Victoria Station, stop. Why? Question mark. And he stands there and waits for her reply. Because he has no clue why he's there. Not a stinking clue does he know why he's at Victoria Station. I'm here. Why am I here? A few minutes later, he gets a telegram back. You're on your way home. Oh, okay. So he heads home. This guy's brilliant. He's brilliant. He's taken on the greatest philosophers of the day, but the sucker doesn't know why he's at the train station. You know why? Because he was completely and totally disorganized. If he had been audited by the IRS, the sucker would be in jail. He didn't have a receipt. He didn't know what a receipt was. Some of you guys have every receipt you've ever been given in the history of the world. <laughs> and they're filed, and they're color-coded, and you can put your hands on anything. You know why you can do that? Because God gave you certain gifts when he formed you and fashioned you in the womb. Other guys don't have those gifts. I don't have those gifts. 
but I found somebody who did. So what I do, I have my computer. On my second drawer down on the right is my receipt drawer. So I go on a trip, you know what I do? And I do this, I put receipts in my wallet. I do do that. I didn't used to, but I do now. I've done it for a long time. I come home and I empty out those receipts and I put them in that drawer. And when that drawer, when I can't get another receipt in that drawer, then I take a Tom Thumb grocery bag and I put every receipt in that drawer and I dump it in that bag and I take it to my bookkeeper. And she files those suckers. And I've been audited and got an email one time, we need 15 random receipts. In less than two hours, we had every one of them. <laughs> now see, I could whine all day. Well, I'm not an organizer, no, but I found somebody who was. That's why you don't live life alone. You see what I'm saying? Don't waste your time worrying about, well, I don't have this and this. Fine, other people have it, so you hook up with them. Find petty people who are better than you are and embrace them, and that's how we get through life. Don't waste your time worrying about, God didn't give you everything. Nobody has everything. Right? You wove me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are. You have strengths. You have abilities. It's amazing how God has wired us and put us together. Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. My bones literally were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Some guys are tall, some guys are short, some guys are white, some guys are black, some guys are Asian, some guys are Hispanic, some guys are whatever. That's all the plan of God. You're who God wants you to be. Some of you are tall, some of you are short, some of you are good at math, some of you are lousy at math. Some of you have great hand-eye coordination, some of you don't. Why? It's all how you were formed and fashioned in the womb, and God's the one who's behind it. So don't worry about it. Figure out what he's given you and go with it. Verse 16, this is wild. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. See, we're asking the question, why am I here? Why am I alive? Why do I exist? Watch this. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Did you guys, did you go into the hospital, did you go to the doctor's office when your wife was pregnant and see the little um, <coughs> sonogram? Isn't that wild? Remember the first time you heard the heartbeat? That's pretty wild stuff. Or you see the sonogram, a little kid in there swimming around, you know. Watch this. He says, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. You know what he's saying? You knew me before I ever showed up on a sonogram. You knew me when I was unformed. You knew me when I was a sperm and an egg. To Jeremiah, God said, before I formed you, I knew you. Isn't that wild? Oh, by the way, you were conceived. It took, it took one specific egg and one specific sperm. And without those, specific, a specific sperm and specific egg, you wouldn't be here. But you're here. Have you ever thought about this? This is amazing stuff. Oh, by the way, so you and your wife, now you were born, let's say you're married and you have kids, but let's go back to you in the womb, okay? 
So there's a sperm, a specific sperm, a specific egg. And so you're the result. But what if those two parents had never met? Would you exist? No. But see, they did meet. Well, how did that happen? The providence of God. Because God has a plan. Because God wanted you to exist. What if they hadn't met? Well, you wouldn't be here listening to this and worrying about it. (laughs) Would you? But see, you're here, and why are you here? Because God planned for you to exist. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're here by the will of God. That's why you're alive. That's why you're here. That's why you're walking the face of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Watch this. And in your book, they were all written. Watch this. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. That is incredible. Why are you here? Why do you exist? That's why. You're here because God has a plan for your life. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book, they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. When I was a sperm and an egg, you had a plan for my life. And this day is part of his plan for your life. Yeah, it is. Flip over to the left to um, Job 14.5. Same thing, same concept. In 14.1, it says, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. And we would all say amen. That's true. I got, I got turmoil. But then in verse 5, it says, since his days, I'm in 14, chapter 14, verse 5 of Job. Since his days are determined, the numbers of his months is with you. And his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. You've got a time span. There is a, uh, what do you call it thing with the sand? An hourglass for your life. And there are boundaries. And when that sand runs out, it's over. You know why you're here tonight? Here's, here's why you exist. Here's why you're alive. Before the foundations of the world, God determined the moment. According to Psalm 139, before the foundations of the world, God determined the moment of your conception. Before the foundations of the world, God determined the moment of your birth. And before the foundations of the world, God determined the moment of your death. The moment of your death has already been set by Almighty God. Hebrews 10, isn't it? It is appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. There's nothing you can do to change that. Now, how else can I encourage you? But that's kind of encouraging, isn't it? You know why that's encouraging, when you really get it? George Whitfield got that, the great evangelist of the Great Awakening. You know what Whitfield would say? He would say, I cannot die until my work is done. I can't do it. I can't die. God has a work for me to do. You say, well, see, that's what I'm trying to figure out is what he wants me to do next. Well, well what is that? Well, I don't know. Yeah, but I, I kind of want to know. Well, you know, he'll let you know. Yeah, but I'm a little bit unclear. Well, that's because it's his will right now that you'll be a little bit unclear. Sometimes there's fog. God invented fog. Sometimes our lives get foggy. We're not sure. We're just not sure. If you're not sure what to do next, just keep what you're doing. Keep what you know to be the will of God. Just keep doing it. Keep following Christ. Stay in the Word. Stay obedient. Stay with your wife. Don't run out. Keep tabs on your kids. Stay connected. That's what men do. That's what godly men do. So stick with that. Okay? 
Yeah, it's not foggy. The next step's not clear. Well, when, it, when it's time for it to be clear, he'll make it clear. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, this fits with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. And, and, see, this is why you're, well, why am I here? What's my purpose? And, and see, there's, there are times he wants it unclear. There are times he wants it foggy because it's not time yet. He's doing a work in our lives. He's got us in the gym. He's got us in, in, in one of those um, um, boot camp things. And he's developing us. We're not quite ready for what's next. So he's getting us ready. But it's hard and it's difficult. It's not clear. Believe me, when, it, when it's time to move, you'll make it clear. And that's when you move. But until then, hold off. Just keep doing. Just keep being faithful. Ephesians 2.8. See, this is why I'm alive physically. He's got a plan for my life. In Ephesians 2.8, it's why I'm alive spiritually for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works any man should boast. Watch this. Here's 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. You're alive because God has a plan for your life, which include good works. Not good works to be saved. You're already saved in verse 8. Good works don't save you. The grace of God saves you. Calling out on the name of the Lord saves you. But after you come to Christ, he has a purpose. He has a plan. He has something he wants you to do. He's got to get you ready. So he's going to take you through hard things. He's going to put you in the gym. He's going to work you out. He's going to make you run hills. He's going to make you do all kinds of stuff, getting you ready for the work. You say, I don't know what the work is. That's okay. He'll make it clear at the right time. Does he tell us what the work is? Does he give us all the particulars? Does he give us all the details? No. Because he wants us to trust him. But I'll say this. You can count on this. The work will get done. He'll lead you. Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you, watch this, will bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. You're on a track. You're on a plan. You know, yeah, yeah, but Steve, you know what? There were times when I got away from the Lord and I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do and I ran away from it. And you know, hey, okay, that's all of us. Guess what? He incorporated that into his plan. Oh, he knew about that. Yeah, there were times I was resistant. We'll join the club. You think that shocked God? You think God didn't know about that? He knows it all. And it's all folded in. I was an idiot for so long. You know, I've just kind of gotten back. I've just got started with the Lord and I'm 45 years old. Great. He knew that. It's all in the plan. To his glory. You got stuff, I got stuff. Is it real? Yeah. Are we concerned about it? Yeah. But you see, by looking at this and stepping back, does it not give you a different perspective? And does it not help you to breathe a little easier? And doesn't it put a little peace in your heart? Does it not? Does it not? Hey, guys, we're going to be okay. Your father knows that you need all these things. He's got a plan. I forgot something. I can't quit without this. Turn with me to Romans 8 real quick. This will take three minutes. I've got to show you this. Because, see, here's what happens. 
we get confused and that cloud descends on us and we're not sure what to do. What do I do next? Or, you know, I got this issue and I'm like, man, I, I can't figure this out. And I, I got this issue with my career. I got this issue with this. And, and, I'm, and, and uh, where, where, where am I going? Romans 8. Romans 8. That, that night when, uh, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, when um, Jeff Scruggs texted, texted me and said that his daughter Lauren had, had walked into the airplane propeller. And you guys know about Lauren and what's happened. And anyway, and she's really doing well, and we thank God for that. And she's working, going through a lot of stuff, got a long road ahead of her, but God's been remarkably good. But we're down there at the hospital, and, and all these friends, Jeff and Cheryl, have, they, got, they, got, they got friends because they're, they're givers and they serve people. So they, this whole waiting room was Jeff and Cheryl's friends and family crazy. So I walk in there with Mary, and Jeff and Cheryl grabbed us, and they took us over the corner, and Jeff said, Steve, pray for us. And well, what do you, how, how do you pray when a daughter walks into an airplane propeller? What do you say? In fact, the next day, we were back at the hospital, and one of the guys who was in the waiting room came up to me, and he said, hey, I, I saw that you guys went over in the corner, and I heard Jeff say, hey, Steve, Lead us in prayer. And he said, what did you say? What do you say in a deal like that? And I said, well, I took a class in seminary on hard prayers. <laughs> I didn't say that. Because when, when Jeff said to me, he said, Steve, lead us in prayer, I thought, what the heck am I going to say here? What do you say? And I just paused, and you know what came to my mind? Romans 8. Romans 8, 26. And what I said was, I said, Lord... And I paused, and I said, we don't even know how to pray right now. We're so stunned and shocked. Now, that's right out of Romans 8, 26. There are times in your life when you're, you know all this, God has a plan. Yeah, God has a plan. He's taking you somewhere. But sometimes things happen that shock us and stun us and just knock us off our feet, and we're stunned. We don't know, so we don't even know how to pray. Watch this. Watch this. 826. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we, do know not how, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is the Spirit praying for you when you don't know how to pray. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when you don't know how to pray, know that the Spirit of God is praying for you. Also, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He lives forever to make intercession for the saints. So when you don't know how to pray, Jesus is praying for you and the Holy Spirit is praying for you. That's all you need to know. Ah, then it says this, 28. So when you're confused and not sure what to do, know this, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Is everything that happens to us good? No, bad things happen. But he causes all things to work. Will he work it right then? No. It may not be until eternity or it might be years down the road. But we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Watch this. Those whom he foreknew or foreloved, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Oh, and these whom he predestined? And some guys get, they don't like the word predestined. It's a great word. You know what it means? It means God has a plan for your life. That's what it means. Doesn't that make you glad that he has a plan? Sure it does. 
And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, and on and on and on. So, I, I had to read that because you got stuff right now, and so do I. But let's fit it in to this. There's a plan. And there's a God who's over it all, and he's in charge, and he's got his eye on you, and you're going to be okay. So go through the drive through at In-N-Out on the way home, <laughs> and get a double-double and fries. Let's pray. We can relax, Lord, even in the midst of all our stuff, we can relax. It's not out of control, it's under control. There is a plan for the ages, and we're a part of it. That helps us. Because some of us in here, we got guys in here right now that are under great, great pressure, carrying heavy weights. But when we read this, it takes the pressure off. And we're going to make it, and we're going to be okay not because we read, we read some self-help thing, but because we know you. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the strong man boast in his might. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he knows and understands me. We are privileged men to know you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.